everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Sports Break Podcast. My name is Jackson King. I'm Kyle Grondon. And in today's episode, we will be very focused on the NFL. Uh, we're going to be looking forward to the final, the conference championships uh, in the AFC and the NFC. Uh, looking back at some of the uh, coaching hires that have opened over the last week, week and a half, because there have been some let's just say very questionable moves. And then we will be looking, something we were going to do last week, uh, we'll be looking at some of the best and worst mock drafts predictions because some of them just really make me laugh. Uh, as always, this is the Sports Break Podcast where it's less of a expert opinion and more about a water cooler conversation. So uh, let's just jump into it. Yeah, yeah, excited to get into it. Only three football games left for the season. It's, it's I mean... You know, it's weird going to be coming down the stretch. No Pro Bowl, no uh, no big That's hype okay. of that during that week. We're going to be I mean, pause for bus. You know, it's going to be interesting. Uh, this last week was kind of it was. I think it's the perfect example of something where the score doesn't necessarily need to be great for the game to be really exciting. Because I think if you look at the last uh, the four games, this the divisional round. You know, none of them were necessarily close. Um, the closest one, obviously, being, I believe, the Chiefs and Browns game. But all four games had something really exciting to it, where, except for maybe the Packers-Rams game, but, like, Bills-Ravens was really fun. Uh, Chiefs-Browns obviously went down to the wire. And then the Bucks and the Saints game was kind of a game that just flipped its head halfway through. I don't know. What were your thoughts? Yeah, no, I kind of agree with all that. I didn't think there was necessarily any boring game. Even like the you know even the Packers Ram game, I thought it was you know I thought golf played pretty well. I thought he did a pretty good job out there and making some plays and making some throws, even with a thumb injury. Uh, the only thing going against golf was that uh, he wasn't Aaron Rodgers, so you know he you know you kind of have to be that to beat the Packers sometimes. I I mean, the Packers look like a Super Bowl winner to me honestly. I guess we can start with that game. They looked very impressive on both sides of the ball that defensive line is dominant especially for sean gary is going to look like high school prospect for sean gary out there uh with rogers aaron jones running for almost seven yards to carry or for seven yards to carry like just an absolute deadly combo on offense and like i said with that defensive line and jair alexander and that group at the back it's kind of hard to pick against the Packers right now. They look like the best team in football and it looks like in the same thing that we can we say about a lot of these teams that end up making the Super Bowl. We saw it last year with the Chiefs. We saw it, well, we didn't really see it. The Patriots are kind of always the team that kind of looks just fine when they make their playoff runs, but they never really. But the, the, we see this all the time. We saw it with the Eagles in uh, 2017. They're peaking at the right time. They're peaking in the playoffs. And, I, uh, you know, they're going to be there's, – there's no easy games left. I think all four remaining teams have – things that are going to make them could win Super Bowls. But I do think if you're if you're one of those betting types who bets randomly at the conference championship rounds, I think the Packers are probably the favorite. But don't sleep on this Bucks team. No, I mean, I think if you look at it, I think if you look at these four NFL teams that are left, you say the Chiefs were probably the best team all season. I mean, they're probably one – if they had another five minutes in that Raiders game, I think they could have won. 
And if they didn't rest their starters week 17, they could easily be undefeated. You know, that's a lot of ifs. But still, I thought it was the best team all season long. And you look at the uh, the way the Rams played to finish the season and getting into the playoffs. And, or no, sorry. The way the Bucks played to finish the season, changing that offense around, throwing more on first down. The way the Packers played to finish the season to clinch that one seed. And the way the Bills played the last essentially eight weeks of football, you can easily see that these are the best four teams all season. So it's nice to be able to see them. I think it's going to be really competitive conference championship games. I'm looking forward to watching all four. Yeah, and I, I again, I think more than some years, because I think last year we all kind of knew the Titans weren't going to win a Super Bowl, though they were maybe one of the hottest teams heading into that conference championship last year. These are all four teams that each have strengths that could win a Super Bowl. Um I'll be, I think we'll start with the NFC side because we've kind of been talking about it. You know, you got the Packers, which are the hottest team right now. They've got probably the best overall offense of, of the four remaining teams. And they have a defense that sneaks up on you and is like has in their playoff game and over their last couple of games of the season been really, really good. Uh, and then you got the Bucks, who who played really well against the Saints, especially on defense. Uh, I really credit Todd Bowles and what he did with that defensive unit for the for the Bucks. Uh, I've complimented those Bucks weapons a lot on this podcast, and I think it still stands. They have four or five guys who could be like big weapons for any offense in the league. And look, it's going to be hard to bet on Tom Brady. You can't you can't or bet off, yeah bet against Tom Brady. You can't at this point in the stage. Tom Brady's been there 14 times and you can't or 13 times before this one and you can't tell me that you don't expect Tom Brady to put his, to have his best game of the season in the conference championship. Yeah, I mean that's the thing cuz at the end of the day, I mean I think the Packers have a clear advantage coaching wise. I think Matt LaFleur is a much better coach than Bruce Arians. Uh and but there is a thing where, you know, if the Bucks keep this close and it's like Five minutes left in the game. Are you really going to count out Tom Brady for maybe keeping getting a getting one more score and winning the game and going to the Super Bowl again? You can't just because he's that talented, uh, and you know obviously he's the goat. So that you know, and it's also the fact of this Packers team is very good, and they've shown over these last let's say four games that they are have the ability to be one of the best in the league. But this just feels like the game that's like t- like Tampa Bay is going to sneak up on them, like they yeah. snuck up on New Orleans, like. It just never feels like the the favorite favorite to get to the Super Bowl always gets there. Yeah. Well, and then so you look at the game that happened earlier in the season where the Buccaneers completely stomped the Packers. I think the thing that you saw in that game is that's probably the one team virtually all season that's gotten through the Packers offensive line. They were able to get after them and get after Rodgers and force some mistakes out of them. So, and the big news that was uh, talked about earlier this week is that there's a chance Vita Vea plays in this game. And if Vita Vea is able to play at that defensive tackle spot, because I think he was huge in getting, you know, allowing Shaq Barrett to get pass rush. Because Shaq Barrett hasn't been the same guy since he got hurt. No. Um, so I think if Vita Vea is able to play and they're able to cause some pressure and get through this Packers offensive line... That's where the Buccaneers are going to have chances because you've seen against Breeze that they can create some turnovers. If they can do it again in this one, I think that's going to be huge because it's also going to be tough for them to move the ball against the Packers' defense just as tough as it was for them to move the ball against the Saints' defense. If you put, and I think to your point, if you can get that defensive line to be, I believe it's Shaq Barrett, it would be Shaq Barrett, Vaya Vaya, Ndamukong Su, and JPP. JPP. 
that is maybe the deadliest four that we see now that the the, the Browns are out. That is a deadly uh, front four. We've seen what they did against uh, Packers in Week Five. We've seen what they can do against good offensive lines throughout the season. Mm-hmm. And again, I think Todd Bowles has kind of really maximized that unit, especially last week against the Saints. I'm just saying I'm not going to count them out. I personally yeah. would still predict the Packers to win, yeah. um, probably in a game where Tom Brady just can't get there. Like they like Packers take a huge lead, Bucks cut it close, but aren't able to fully get that comeback back victory. Yeah, but you know, I, I think it easily could turn turn around. I think this easily could be a Bucks victory. Yeah, I think. Uh... I agree. I think that the Packers are the better team. I think that they should win this game. I think it's going to come down to a mistake on the Buccaneers, de- or a mistake, or some something created by the Buccaneers defense. Someone making a play on that side of the ball because that's basically what it's going to be uh, to win this game. Because I just, you know, I think Brady. What you saw, I'm not going to give him. I'm not going to say he was good last week, uh, but I think the one thing that he did is that he basically understands, look, if I play mistake-free football, I give my team a chance. He did throw 12 interceptions this year, but five of those were against the Saints all season. So I think if he, he's looking at it like, let me just play mistake-free and not worry about anything else. And he essentially did that. He had one throw that I thought could have been intercepted, and the rest were just kind of like, let me throw the ball away and live to fight another day. So I think the Buccaneers fi- have to find a way to flip p- field position and create a turnover. I do want to backtrack a bit going back to that Saints-Bucks game because that was kind of the game of the weekend or at least one of the most interesting games of the weekend. It's sad to see Drew Brees have this, what's most likely, unless something crazy happens, his final game of the year or his final game of his career, be that three-interception stinker where the best thing the Saints had done in the second half was that play where James Winston came in. It's, it's the unfortunate thing of the NFL sometimes where – the pro doesn't always get to walk off in the sunshine. Yeah. And that's sadly what I feel like is going to happen at some point to Brady. Like, Brady's going to play until he's 45, but his final game is going to be a stinker, and it's like... It could be. Yeah, I mean... It's just... It's sad because I feel like Drew Brees won't get as much recognition as he should because he only won one Super Bowl and he never won an MVP. And he was... There was someone, I feel like, always better in the NFL whether that be Brady, whether that be Manning, whether that be Russell Wilson or some of these other players, uh, Mahomes now. Rodgers, yeah. But Rodgers. But I don't know. I feel like he he's kind of been consistently the best. He's kind of, He reminds me a lot of Scottie Pippen um, in that he's just a very great player who maybe doesn't get as much recognition because of the other guys. I don't know. No, I mean, I think that's fair. I think that he's, you know, his stats are, you know, if you look – you know, 30, 40 years from now, uh, there are going to be people who argue that Breeze is one of the greatest, and it's because his stats are going to back it up. And he's going to be considered in that top, you know, four to five all time, I think, because of that. I mean, I I, I kind of think that's true there. I mean, there's a reason he won an NFL MVP. Um, but he he was a great quarterback, and I think he deservedly is going to be remembered as one of the top 10 to 12 all time, without a doubt. So you got to give credit to Breeze. Um but I, we we had kind of saw this coming. Uh, I mm-hmm. thought it was very noticeable for you know his air yards had gone down each of the last three years. His yards per attempt gone down each of the last three years. And I didn't think those Bucks corners were really great all year. I think they showed they were twenty first in pass defense this season. But the one thing those Bucks corners are is athletic. They're really good athletes out there. And 
basically they figured out in the second half i don't know why it took this long but they figured out in the second half they could play man to man and just pretty much play 20 yards and in because he wasn't going to beat them downfield and he made one throw downfield for that uh, Emmanuel Sanders, I think it was, touch. No, no, Traquan Smith, sorry. Traquan Smith touchdown on that one-on-one play, which was a good read by them because the uh, Sean Murphy bunting, who had been causing them problems, went out with an injury. The backup came in, and they took advantage of it. But they really couldn't beat the Benown field except for those one and two plays that led to touchdowns. So uh, you kind of just saw it coming with the Saints. Yeah, it's. I think it's two things. One, we had seen over the last – even like the last five or six weeks of the NFL season this year, we saw the kind of the decline of Breeze with the injury. Uh, I still believe he, for some reason, was rushed back to being in the in the game, probably because it was his last season. Um, and then also, I don't know if you saw that stat, but they set a record for f- four game win for four seasons, the most amount of wins without making the Super Bowl, uh, beating the 2012 to 2015 Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, which I find very ironic because, you know, I remember those Bengals teams. My brother's a Bengals fan, so I, I distinctly remember the 2013 and 2015 Bengals. And there was always just this thought of, well, they're fine, but they can never get over that hump. And it's it's sad to see a coach like uh, Sean Payton and a player like Drew Brees being considered in the same breath as, like, Marvin Lewis and Andy Dalton. No, yeah. no offense to those guys, but... You know, the other two are Hall of Famers, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And to see them have this just frustrating streak is kind. Of, and and before that streak, not making the playoffs and not doing well. I, I I don't have the thing in front of me, but you see the games they've had since winning the Super Bowl. They lose the Beastquake game, then they um, I can't remember what they did. I think 2011 they may have lost to the 49ers. Uh, and then they missed the playoffs for a couple of years. Then they get bounced in the first round a couple of times. Then miss the playoffs again, and then have this four-year stretch. It's it's sad to see their legacy kind of. It feels like that 20, 2019 will be more remembered as an outlier rather than what they were able to do. Yeah, and then you know it wasn't just losing too. It was how they lost. It oh, was yeah. you know the 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 Rams play and the uh, the two losses to the, the Vikings, Vikings yeah. and then this this game. Man, those those are four. Just aside from what we saw in the Cleveland game, those may have been just four of the most brutal losses. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think those are probably in the top category. Yeah. I mean, just just a rough stretch, and they're in a tough spot now because they really went for it these past four years, and they're kind of in cap hell going forward. Oh yeah. But. They, they mean their situation is so messed up. I guess they're going to have to try and use Winston and uh, Taysom Hill next year because, you know, they don't have a high draft pick. They have so much in cap. And I don't know. They're just – they're not a uh, – they're not a team that – you know, you know we talk about the NFL. There are teams that you expect to get – to be near the top. Uh, I now expect this Packers team to, even if they lose this game against Tampa Bay, to be back in the conference championship next year. Obviously, I expect Kansas City to be back in the conference championship next year. Some will expect Buffalo to be back in the conference championship next year. I'm not sure. I I don't know where how you expect the Saints team to get back to the to get back into this far in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens going forward. I think the NFC South is going to be interesting. I think Tampa Bay is going to have one more year, um, but then after that, it might be kind of wide open because I still think the Panthers are in the middle of a rebuild and need to find their guy. The Falcons could rebuild their entire roster if they decide to trade. Uh, Matt Ryan, like, has been rumored, 
And so the NFC South could be interesting. It's looked like one of the best divisions in football for a lot of years. And uh, it's kind of in flux going forward after this Bucks run. Going to the other side, um, two very close games without the score necessarily always reflecting it. Um, I, I'll start with the Buffalo-Baltimore game. That was, a, that was just a really fun game to watch even though there weren't a lot of high moments. Mm-hmm. You know, Justin Tucker missing field goals. Uh, I believe his name is Tyler Bass, the, Balt- Bal- uh, the Buffalo kicker, missing field goals. And just Lamar Jackson having a rough game against that Bills defense. Yeah, I mean, it kind of just turned into the Bills sitting in zone defense and saying, hey, figure this out. And for the first half, it looked like Lamar wasn't going to figure it out. He didn't figure it out. He didn't play very well at all in the first half. Uh, the second half, it looked like they were starting to figure things out. He had that big run on the third and 13 to get a first down. He hit Willie Sneed a couple times on short passes over the middle, got them down in the red zone, and then just made a really bad decision. He stared down Mark Andrews there. There was Matt Milano sitting there. There was Johnson sitting there. Johnson jumps the route, makes the play, and takes it back for a score. Um, so that was just a really bad play, but then, you know, I still was like, okay, he figured some things out here. Maybe they're still okay to get a chance to come back. And then he's hurt on the next drive, essentially. And that's the end of it. Uh, So a little unfortunate there that Lamar gets hurt, doesn't get a chance to redeem himself on that interception. So that's what everyone's going to remember for the entire offseason is that pick and how it ended for him. But it was just a tough game because the wind clearly was brutal. It was taking away a bunch of Allen's throws downfield. And... The Ravens just didn't play winning football on my book. I didn't think they got a winning performance out of Jackson. I definitely didn't think they got a winning performance out of that center. He was horrible. And, uh, you know, they didn't get a winning performance out of the special teams. They had a bad uh, roughing the punter play at the end of the game that got a first down that kind of sealed it. And you could say, oh, well, Tyler Bass missed a couple field goals, so it's not that big a deal. But that's kind of what the Ravens do is they don't make those kind of mistakes. And, you know, they have a guy like Justin Tucker for a reason because he nails everything. And him missing two field goals is huge and hitting two uh, uprights. Yeah, that, I mean... Uh, obviously, Tyler. I think a lot of people like Tyler Bass. You know, good fifth round pick. Uh, him missing two field goals, especially in that in his home stadium, is a little bit like you could criticize it if they had lost. But to have Justin Tucker, who's known as these most accurate kickers in NFL history, I believe up until recently he was the most accurate kicker in NFL history. To have him miss two field goals that would they have made your team win? Maybe not, but just to keep your team competitive is really important. Um, The one thing I will say uh, is um, I'm really happy after all of the shakeup with this um, in terms of Lamar Jackson um, getting injured and how that overall performance had to see the generosity of the uh, to see the generosity of the Buffalo Bills fans. Um, I know that was a big talking point on Twitter and I just think, you know, We've seen that a lot from some of these other fan bases where I know a couple years ago when the Bengals beat the Ravens to get the Bills in the playoffs, the Bills donated heavily to the uh, to the uh, Bengals or to the Andy Dalton's uh, charity. I know that when Kansas or when Miami beat New England to help Kansas City get the bye, I know that Kansas City fans donated barbecue sauce or whatever to the Miami Dolphins or something like that. But I think more than anything like that, you see Lamar Jackson go down and you see that team just have a 
frustrating game against the Bills, to see the Bills fans come in and do this charitable act out of really the, just the gesture of their own like goodwill is tremendous. Yeah, it was a good thing, and you know the Bills fans are just riding high right now. You know this is the the best thing to happen to them in almost thirty years. So. Kudos to them for doing the right thing, making some things happen, and hey, they're one game away from the Super Bowl, and I, I kind of like their chances going forward. They look like a really, really good fo football team. I think that was the worst performance out of their offense all season. Even though I don't think Josh Allen was that bad. I no. think Josh Allen had moments. I think the, I think it was a little bit frustrating, but I don't, I can't say he had a bad performance. The, the wind was just awful, True. and it clearly took away a lot of their offense. I thought he did better in the second half, making some throws and making some things happen. Hit, he hit digs a few times in the second half. And I don't know. I kind of like their chances against Kansas City because I just feel like right now this is a team better, playing better football, uh, just top to bottom. Well, we'll uh, let's switch over to Kansas City because, you know, that game felt like they wanted – not that they wanted to lose, that they were going to – like there were just so many things in that game, you know, we'll talk we, – we, for weeks, we'll be talking about the head-to-head -head helmet hit that resulted in the touchback fumble. Yeah. Uh, a lot of questionable calls on that, just that one play. Uh, obviously, in the end, Chad Henney comes in for the injured Patrick Mahomes and has an amazing fourth down conversion to give his team, to let his team kill the clock. Um, Kansas City is not the same team that we saw last year. They are vulnerable. They could easily have lost to the Browns yesterday at multiple points. It's going to be interesting to see how the Chiefs play this week. I think, um, obviously, they, I think they, they could easily lose to the Bills, depending on how the both teams perform. But even more than that, I think if you see how this Chiefs team plays, we could see if they even have a chance to be good in the Super Bowl, even if they do win. Because, again, they're going to be facing either Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers playing one of his best seasons of his career. So yep. it's going to be tough. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough. Uh, this is the team that has kind of kept a lot of teams in it throughout the season. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But, you know, this it looked like at one point they were going to get like 700 yards of offense. Cleveland had no answer for their weapons. Mm -hmm. uh, and it looked like they, they were moving the ball really well, obviously. Uh, Mahomes had the toe injury, which was had him a little shaken up. And then obviously he gets the injury that takes him out of the game. But there were still things I really liked about this team, and I think they're going to be fine. They just kind of, you know, as soon as Mahomes went out, the entire game changed, which, you know, is kind of what I would expect it's to happen. what happens when yeah. you have an MVP. Yeah, know. exactly, when you lose him too. So I think that they're in the end, I think they're going to be fine. they got to find a way to finish those drives off and score some touchdowns. And it sounds like Mahomes is going to play, which is obviously a good thing for them. Um, because I don't think Chad Henney is good enough to win, even though they got enough. he made enough plays in the end. That interception was an awful throw. Uh, he threw into two deep safeties for whatever reason. Um, but he turned it around and made some big plays. And not only that, you know, the it, Cleveland still, I thought, deserved to lose. Even with the, you know, the one that was almost a touchdown was, prob was a, definitely a personal foul penalty. And it was a touchback, which is the worst rule in football. Yeah. They made plenty of mistakes. And, you know, if you're going to give up 15 yards to Chad Henney on a third and 14, or third and 14, you give up 13 and a half yards to Chad Henney, you deserve to lose the game. That was That's what happens. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not into the one play can kill, a, or like one play should have been overturned to kill it. Like, obviously, 
looking at some of these like infamous like wide lefts and or wide right and stuff like that obviously hurts. But I'm not one of those guys who's like, and I'm a Cowboys fan, so I, Des Cotty is one of the huge like that should have been turned. I don't care because you would have you shouldn't have been in that position to have that happen anyway. Yeah. Um, but my point with uh, the whole Browns Chiefs situation is, you know, going into the week, everyone was like. Oh, the, I mean, the famous words from uh, Chase Claypool that they were going to get clapped, that, uh, you know, the Chiefs were just going to run down with him. And while obviously the Chiefs got off to a hot start, that wasn't the case. The Chiefs, or the Browns proved that they were a very, very good team yeah. and that they deserved to be in that divisional round. Did they deserve to win? No. But um, they made it very interesting and made it... You know, the playoffs is so much about those kinds of situations. Like when Patrick Mahomes goes out and when Chad Henney comes in, can you execute and can you sneak by a team because of that? Mm -hmm. um, obviously they didn't, but congratulations to a very good season for the Cleveland Browns. And I think if you're the Chiefs, you know, this is a team that, as you said, has kept a lot of teams in over the year. Uh, has had a lot of really close games. I think of that Chargers game in Week 2. I think of the Falcons game in Week 16. They've just had a lot of close games against teams they should realistically be beating by double digits. I think this Bills game is going to be the one they lose. I think the Bills are too good of a team to let that happen. I think I don't think Pat Mahomes will not play, but I don't think he'll be as sharp as he is normally. And I think his athleticism is one of his best skills, and I think that won't be there. I, look, before the playoffs, we talked about this. I kind of predicted Bills and Packers. And I think the Packers will ultimately win. Uh, we'll get scores in a second. But I just think the Bills are too good of a team to for this Chiefs team to underestimate them and underlook them like they've had to some of these teams. And I think that'll happen, and I think they'll lose. Yeah, I mean, I could see it, but I also see a scenario where Patrick Mahomes comes out guns blazing and they're just fine. Um, you know, because that's kind of who he is and that's what this team can be. I, I would probably pick the Bills right now, too, just because of the uncertainty with Patrick Mahomes. What is, you know, what his level's going to be at, what percent he's going to be at, whatever it is. And listen, the last eight weeks of football, Bills have been really good. So you can't really count them out. I really like that team. I like what they're doing. And I think they're going to have success on this Chiefs defense, too. Has it been their only loss? I think I saw that set the only loss in 10 weeks was that miracle game against Arizona where uh, DeAndre Hopkins... Yeah, yeah, I believe so. So they've, they've figured some stuff out, and I think that they uh, they kind of feel like a team of destiny sort of thing. So give me your scores that lead us to the Super Bowl. Which teams and what points? All right, I will go with uh, Packers winning the game 24-21. to I think it's a close one. I think that the Bucks stay in it, uh, fall just short in the end. And I'm going to go with the Bills winning 31-20-24. I think... The Packers are going to win 35-28. I think they get a lot of points in that first half. Bucks start to come back but aren't able to, like, don't execute on that final drive. I'm thinking of, like, that 2007 or 2011 Super Bowls where Brady just wasn't able to get that final drive. I think the Packers get through. And then I think it's going to be a def not a defensive battle but a very low-scoring game. I think that the Bills will uh, running game, and I think the Bills having a much more uh, the defense again will keep them in it. 
Uh, I'm predicting 24-17. There you have it. There you have it. So we're both predicting a fun Bills uh, Packers Super Bowl. Uh, with one new coach in that scenario being the first team, uh, time winning head coach. Yep. Speaking of coaching, let's go on to the other big topic of this week. A uh, lot of new he- head hires throughout the NFL. Uh, a lot of places have been locked up really over the past week. I believe when you reported last week, a few hours later was when the official news about Urban Meyer confirmed was happening. Uh, let's start there. Give me your thoughts on former Ohio State and Florida coach Urban Meyer, new head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, I'm intrigued. Um, I think this is something you kind of have to look at probably in like three months because this team has a bunch of draft picks. It has a bunch of cap space. You obviously know Trevor Lawrence is going to be there. But this is kind of a team in a slate that we don't really – I'm not really sure about because obviously we haven't seen Meyer in the NFL and that's been a jump that – I think some coaches have been able to work with and some haven't, so that's that's going to be kind of up in the air for me. But he gets the franchise quarterback number one to work his team around, and he's going to have a ton of cap space and a draft picks to rebuild this team, which I don't think is that far off from being pretty competitive with the uh, with the talent it has on offense. It needs a lot of help on defense. It needs a lot of help just across the board there, and you know maybe a couple offensive line pieces as well for it to be really competitive. But I'm intrigued. I, that's pretty much how I can say it. It's kind of hard to put a gauge on this one, yeah. though. It's also interesting because of the situation with the AFC South. Uh, you know, no one know no one knows what's going to happen in Houston, uh, and then the Texans and the Titans are teams that I could both see regressing next year, uh, just based on what they have. Um, the thing I like about Urban Meyer, first of all, I think of college coaches, I think he has a great shot of being a really good NFL coach because he kind of served as that like game manager kind of role. Uh, obviously, it'll depend on who he fits around him coordinator-wise, but I think he's got that tool. Uh, the other thing is I like that because Jacksonville's kind of in this big rebuild, because they have so much cap space and young players and a lot of draft picks, it kind of feels like he can craft the team he wants, So, which I think will help Meyer in the transition because it's him kind of assembling his team which is what a lot of coaches end up doing in college. Uh, The one thing that I personally, is the only thing that I'm really burdened by is the fact that he has quit on two two teams in the last 10 years. He quit on Florida and then he quit on Ohio State. There is a betting right now about how long he'll last there. And while I'm sure it's just based on years and winning and obviously like that, I feel like that's more based on the fact that he has quit on the Gators and the Buckeyes. But both have then spiraled into bad situation in terms of Florida's gang culture and the situation with Zach Smith and the Buckeyes. Um, though obviously he built a team that went to the championship this year. It, I, If I were a Jaguars fan, I would be concerned about that, but also there's nowhere to go but up. And of the coaches that were hired, he's probably my second favorite. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to give a glowing endorsement of, like, uh, Urban Meyer's track record or try and defend any of it because it doesn't look great. But, I mean, we'll see. Um, That's all you can say is we'll see. I think that this team's going to have a nice influx of talent and be pretty competitive, though. So I I mentioned that Urban Meyer was my my second favorite hire of the offseason. 
And that's just because I feel like everyone expected it. My favorite hire of the offseason by far is Robert Sala to the Jets. That move makes so much sense. I think he is, in terms of the coaches that were available, he was probably one of my favorite of the coordinator hires. Uh, he has a lot of experience at a lot of different programs. Uh, you look at what he did with the 49ers, not only last year getting them to the Super Bowl, but this year getting them to be the fifth best defense in the league, despite having almost every good player from last year's team injured. Um, he's high energy, which I feel like the Jets have needed for a while now. I think going from Todd Bowles to Adam Gase, I think was a bad move in terms of, I don't think they complement each other. Like they don't contrast each other enough. I think Sala is a really good energy guy. And then the guy they hired as the OC is a, is a uh, guy of the um, Shanahan system. He's Mike LaFleur, Matt LaFleur's younger brother. I just think the move makes too much sense to not work. I think there are so many good parts of that hire. Uh, what Sala brings, what LaFleur brings, what the Jets need, that I just think it's going to be amazing. Yeah, and, you know, it's not only the fact that he's a brilliant defensive coach, because he clearly is. The defense was very good the past few years, and, you know, it's something that Kyle Shanahan put a lot of trust in him on that side of the ball, because Shanahan's clearly an offensive guy. That's kind of where he spends a lot of his time, I'm assuming, at at that uh, 49ers facility is working with the offense. So Salah had a lot of control there on working with that defense. And not only that, it seems kind of like a culture change because a lot of that was happening with the Jets last year. You had the Jamal Adams situation, Le'Veon Bell situation. You had a lot of players speaking out against the coach, against the organization, all that kind of stuff. It just seems like that kind of stuff doesn't fly with Salah. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I like it because not only is he a great defensive coach, but I think this team needs kind of a, it needs a little culture change. It needs a guy who's going to be kind of all about just winning football games, and that seems like what he is. And the other thing I like about it is um, is is that it's a move that GM Joe Douglas made. You know, there was a lot of talk about that Adam Gase was hired before he was, mm-hmm. and that it wasn't the move he wanted. Uh, this was a move that, from what I've heard, was all him. It wasn't Woody Johnson. It was made by Joe Douglas. Mm-hmm. And... You know, obviously you could criticize a lot of the Jets' moves over the years, talking about um, how they've handled Sam Darnold, talking again about Le'Veon Bell, some of the guys they've let go in free agency versus some of the guys they've signed in free agency. But if this is a move that Joe Douglas, who I've heard has a, you know, very high like reputation, uh, I'm going to say that one more time just so that it becomes clear in the area, a very high reputation among other NFL GMs, then I think that just speaks to a good move because the one thing you don't want the Jets to be, whether you're the, you don't want the Jets to be a train wreck. And whether or not, like, you, you don't. You don't want a big market team like them to be the train wreck. Obviously, if you're a Patriots fan, you do. But in terms of, like, the NFL impact, you don't want a big market team like them to be a train wreck. Yeah. And whether the move works or not, for the GM and the coach to have made a decision together, well, at least guarantee it's probably not a train wreck. No, I think they'll be. I think it'll be a good move. I think it'll be a good move in the end, and maybe it uh, includes a nice little Deshaun Watson sweetener to uh, begin the offseason, which would be nice. Well, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yes, because that situation has boiled over to the point of no return at this point. But yeah. it's it's interesting, and I do think you know whether what happens, whether it's Mike Lafleur and that offense tries to fix Sam Darnold. 
whether um, the situation leads to Watson, whether it leads to a draft pick early. There are a lot of options, and I do think that the Jets have set themselves up outside of the Jaguars who have all that cap space and picks. I think they've set themselves up very well for the future. Yep. Uh, the same day that, of course, um, the same day that, that uh, Sala was hired was the same day that I believe Arthur Smith was hired. The Oak offensive coordinator of the Titans, now the head coach of the Falcons. I want you to start because I know you are a big proponent of this move and you really like this hire. I mean, Arthur Smith's been a really good offensive coordinator for uh, since Matt LaFleur left, essentially, Tennessee. Uh, he built that offense up around Derrick Henry. He kind of revitalized a lot of Ryan Tannehill's game. Now, is that Ryan Tannehill leaving the or leaving Adam Gase, or is that Ryan Tannehill going to Arthur Smith? I don't know who to give credit to that. But, uh, you know, things have been really good in Tennessee, and that was legitimately an elite offense this season. Uh they were one of the top five in the uh, league overall, so I think it's a good hire, and I think Atlanta's another team that has a lot of moves to make. It's kind of in cap hell, too, along with, as we were talking about New Orleans in the same division. They're kind of in cap hell right now, too, and I think that they're going to have to decide what they want to do with Matt Ryan and Julio Jones for the future because the easiest way to get out of cap hell is to pay, tra- trade your two highest paid players. So they could kind of give them a clean slate and trade both of those guys and kind of start over from the ground up. Or they can kind of run it back and say, hey, this is a good offensive coach who's going to be able to do a lot of things with those two, Calvin Ridley. Maybe our defense improved a lot throughout the season last year. So I I just like the Arthur Smith hired in that book, and I think he's going to be a good coach. I'm more mixed on the deal, and it, it, it obviously could change. I think he's not a terrible hire, but I do think there were a lot of moves that I think could have been made, other players that I think could have made more sense in that uh, position. Um, I was really gunning for Raheem Morris getting re-signed to be the actual head coach full-time. I think what he did in the second half with those Falcons, not just in terms of, you know, obviously getting some extra wins, but just being more competitive and playing better. I I thought I've always been a proponent that Morris Morris should have gotten a better chance in Tampa Bay. I understand why they went with Arthur Smith. Again, very good offense. He, he reminds me a lot of the Lafleur hiring in Green Bay in terms of with the Falcons. I just, I don't know, I'm like 70% on the move, honestly. I, I, I'm not, I would not be surprised if in five years this move is remembered as awful. But, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is we have to remember with a lot of these is there's some, you know, moving from coordinator to coach, position coach to coach, whatever it is, moving from coordinator to coach is a big jump. It's a huge jump for a lot of these guys. So even the moves we really like, we're not actually that we're not 100% sure they're going to work out anyways, you know. There's there's a chance that none of these work out and these guys are all looking for jobs in 5 yeah. years and it could be situations behind beyond their control why they don't work out. What I do know is that this guy has created a really good offense with, you know, he had AJ Brown, he had Derrick Henry, I get that, but he also took a lot of guys that, you know, a lot of people didn't want, he made them really good players. I thought Tannehill became a fantastic option for them and even guys like i thought Corey davis you know he kind of revitalized his career there too these last couple of years and he's going to get a big contract now because of it so i think that there's there's reason to believe that he's going to be just fine i think he's going to be a good offensive coach and i think this offense can be really special again soon as it was just a few years ago but moving from coordinator to coach is tough there's a lot more responsibility so we'll see it's the move that i'm sure will work out i just 
I need to be in there in the room. And the other thing I think that's important is we don't know what direction the Atlanta Falcons are going, just in general. Are they a team that's going to try and retool and try and get back to playoff prominence? It's kind of a Dallas Cowboys situation where they use the fourth pick to kind of make them just better. Or are they a team that's going to re ship off everyone and become rebuilt central? We don't know, and that's, I think, the interesting discussion about the Falcons and what they do under Arthur Smith. Uh, the move I cannot justify, and the move that I do not understand whatsoever, is Dan Campbell to the Lions. <laughs> that move, I believe, was um, officially done recently, but... If you look at what Dan Campbell's resume is and you look at what that team is, I don't understand why he is the guy. He probably would have been, he was not even on my list of people who would have made the uh, the coaching hire sheet. Like, mm-hmm. yes, he's been an assistant coach to the Saints for the last three years, but he hasn't, like, he's not the offensive coordinator. He's not the, he's the tight ends coach. He's not a candidate who I would have hired unless that interview just went smoothly. Like, I know a lot of the the discussion with the Lions was between, like, are they going to get Robert Sala? Marvin Lewis was a big discussion point. Uh, There were rumors uh, about some of the offense coordinators, whether it's Smith, Biennemi, DeBole. I just don't think that the... Again, not being in that room... I don't understand why the guy was Dan Campbell. Uh, this move to me kind of just felt like a, uh, it felt like an anti-Matt Patricia move. It felt like we're going to get the guy completely opposite to Patricia and the person we hired last time and not necessarily get the best candidate, um, which is questionable. Um, I certainly think that's an issue, and I certainly don't agree with that line of thinking, but I also understand it a little bit at the same time because things were not going well with Matt Patricia. There's clearly issues in the locker room with him and that kind of thing. And one of the things that they talked about Dan Campbell almost as soon as he was hired is like, he's not an X's and O's guy. He's kind of a motivator guy. So to me, this kind of has an incomplete grade for me. I don't know if they've named the coaching staff yet, but I'm curious to see. I think the big thing will come down to Who's his offensive and defensive coordinator? Because if he's not an X's and O's guy, they've got to hit those out of the park. He's got to have, you know, some of the best offensive and defensive coordinators around in his in his staff. Because I think that's X's and O's are obviously very important. So, um, yeah, it just felt like a very anti-Matt Patricia move, which I'm okay with. But at the same time, it has an incomplete grade for me. I want to see how they fill out this staff and go about make, shaping this roster. The other thing that really confuses me is, you know, they're in a similar situation to Atlanta where they could be in rebuild mode or they could be in tweak to make the playoffs mode. Uh, I would lean towards rebuild mode just because of how good the Packers have been the last couple years. But, you know, they're not a team that's terrible. They've had, this season I think was a great example of, they had some games where they played really, really well and then some games where they stunk. Uh, But in terms of, the, the Dan Campbell hire, I agree with you, it's going to matter about the coordinator. I just don't know. I get the idea of getting a Matt Patricia counter hire. Um, we've seen that work in Green Bay. We saw that uh, Matt LaFleur is kind of the opposite of a uh, Mike McCarthy and that worked. But I just don't think, in the same way that I don't think why some candidates don't get head coaching jobs because they don't have enough experience. 
Uh, I think that was what ultimately hurt Joe Brady this year is like, oh, well, he hasn't had enough experience as an NFL coordinator. I don't think Dan Campbell's had enough experience of being near the top of the guy. He's always been a guy to the guy. And whenever we see a guy to the guy, like Matt Patricia, I think, is a great example of a guy who was not the, not the defensive coordinator by calling it. It was Bill Belichick's defense. He got hired because he was the guy behind the guy. And that didn't work. And we saw that with um, Adam Gase, who he was a guy to the guy in some of the situations he worked into and didn't work. I just, again, maybe it works. Maybe for some reason he gets these great uh, coordinators and he becomes the second coming of some of these great managing coaches and great locker room guy. But in that division, I would not count it. Yeah, and I, I do think this Lions team's going for a rebuild soon because I think there's a lot of pieces on defense they need to add and get better at. Hopefully, Okuda gets a lot better this season. Yeah. Um, he had a rough rookie year. I, rookie cornerbacks probably take... I think rookie corners and tight ends take longer than any other position in the league to translate to the NFL. So I think I'm giving him a couple of years, but it didn't look good to start, that's for sure. Um, that's right. So... He'll get an opportunity to get better. I mean, like I said, we'll see what happens with this one. I think that the Lions have a long way to go, and they're still clearly fourth of four in that division. Yeah. The, the final coaching candidate as of now. Uh, two to go. Two, two, two spots left in the Texans and the Eagles. The one that was most recently hired uh, was the Chargers, hiring Brandon Staley out of uh, the LA Rams. Um you mentioned it recently in that it's not the problem of the guy, it's that you think he, would have, he was a year too early in terms of getting that higher position. My, I don't hate the Staley hire in terms of Staley as a coach. I think he could be a really good coach, especially, you know, that division is really weird in terms of who are the Broncos, who are the Raiders right now. Obviously, the Chargers have an exciting quarterback in Justin Herbert. My thing is I wouldn't have hired a defensive guy. I think that was the bad case to go. Uh, I, I mean, I think getting the right coach is all that matters. I think if you if you have a guy that you trust in the interview process and vetting, I think that's all that matters. I think Staley has been viewed at for uh, a couple of years now as kind of a defensive whiz kid, so I think that's going to help a lot, especially with some young defensive players. Hopefully, like Derwin James gets healthy. That's a really young defense that I think has the potential to be very good. Uh so hopefully he can fill out that defense and make it a very good defense. The offense, you know, I, I don't think it necessarily is the head coach that matters in that regard because you've seen uh, it's just, you know, you got to have a, uh, a head coach that trusts the quarterback at the end of the day, and it's hard not to trust Justin Herbert after his first season. And you look at, you know, you look at Josh Allen this past, you know, few seasons. Sean McDermott's probably the, off- the complete opposite of an offensive coach. He's never going to be considered an offensive guy ever in his life. And they brought in a guy like Brian Dabble, and it just kind of clicked. Things kind of worked, and that was the kind of guy that uh, it seemed like Allen just needed the whole time. So I do think that they're going to have – this is another team that I think needs to hit a home run with its offensive coordinator hire because I just think that they need a pair of guy with Herbert to hit that next level. And But I like the coach overall. He's a guy who's highly regarded, and I think he's going to be very good. It reminded me a lot of kind of the Joe Judge hire. In ways, the one question I will have is specifically with how he's built that Rams defense. Is it him or is it the guys Wade Phillips brought in? And is it that, like that's the big question mark with this, with his coordinator jobs? 
again, I don't think it's necessarily a um, bad hire. It's more of a kind of what you said with the uh, the, um, the the oh my god, why am I blanking on his name? The Arthur or the uh, the Dan Campbell hire. It's a TVD hire where I need to see how he does in that team and how he builds that team. But I I can say this: I'm not a hundred percent on board with what that team did. Um, okay, so we'll, we'll go quickly before we go to these mock draft predictions. Uh, two jobs left, as we mentioned, the Philadelphia and uh, Texans. Without any knowledge, and I'm sure you have knowledge, without any knowing right now about who's getting hired or what the what any like official thing is, who would you believe is going to be the hiring candidate? Um... Well, it seemed like that the Texans were going to do everything in their power not to get, uh, not to get uh, Eric Bieniemy. Uh, for whatever reason, it seemed like they didn't want him, and it seems like now they're finally going to cape to try and save Deshaun Watson from leaving Houston. So I, I guess I'll go with Bieniemy on that coaching job. And the Eagles is still kind of a toss-up. They seem still really early or really slow in the hiring process i think they're taking their time now that they kind of have their choice of candidates um there's been some josh mcdaniels hype over the last few days and there's been some todd bulls hypes over the last few days uh i'd be okay with either one of those guys i'm not a big mcdaniels fan but i get it um he's a guy who's worked well with certain quarterbacks maybe he is able to find some of that brady magic and wentz who you know people are criticizing wentz but it's like just three years ago he was probably mvp until he got hurt so maybe it's Josh McDaniels and they figure some stuff out with Wentz, but that one's kind of a toss-up for me. I do think it's going to end up finally being Biennemi getting that Texans job. I, yeah, I am not, uh, I, I, the Eagles one is the most up in the air for me just because, A, they fired their coach way late. It's not a performance job necessarily. It's more how that situation unfolded near the end of the season. Um, I am leaning towards I'm leaning towards an offensive coach like you I it's probably going to be either I would lean towards uh, McDaniels or DeBowell, um just because of how they play and how they could factor in situing that, saving that situation um, Houston I'm going to toss it up between interestingly two African American coaches in Biennemi and Marvin Lewis. I think Marvin Lewis, if you talked to me before the process, would have been my favorite, just because he seems like the guy who would be patient enough to deal with what the Texans are gonna have to deal with over the next couple years. Um, as well as he feels like kind of the antithesis to Bill O'Brien, but also has that track record of him being that good head coach with the Bengals. I would still look into hire him if the enemy situation doesn't work. But yeah, I agree with you. They may be forced to take the enemy just to not only quiet Deshaun Watson, but try and in some way salvage that relationship. But at this point, I don't know if it's even going to be close. Yeah. Yeah, the Texans are a mess right now. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, I think that's a tough job for whoever wants to come in and take it. Yeah, they're in a tough situation. Um and it's part of the subject of the thing we're going to close with, which is the NFL draft predictions. A lot of people right now that are in the NFL are just assuming that he is going to be gone. 
that Deshaun Watson is going to find a way traded out of Houston. And that has led to a lot of people either underselling or completely overselling Deshaun Watson's trade value. And no, he has a lot of trade value, but there are some people online, experts, if you will, quote unquote, who just way overvalue him. Uh, we'll go to those first. Um, the I'm going to try and get the names of these guys. These are mostly CBS Sports guys because they, to me, have the funniest NFL draft predictions. But um, this is by Chris Trapazza of CBS Sports. This was posted four hours ago. So this tells you how recently, as of recording, this tells you how recently he is. He has projected a trade from the Texans to the Jets that gives the Texans the number two overall pick, a 2022 first overall pick, a 2023 first overall pick, and a 2022 fifth overall pick. Or fifth round pick. Sorry. Yeah, so two, three firsts, one being the second overall pick this year, and a fifth. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's hard to tell because we've never really had this situation where a franchise quarterback who's probably a top five quarterback in the league right now is traded essentially in his entering his prime and entering a big contract. It's hard to tell what the value is going to be. Three first round picks is a lot, but at the same time, it seems like it's kind of going to be fair. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's going to be tough because I think the benefit for that trade for Houston would be that they're getting essentially the guy who's going to replace him. And, yeah. and that guy, according to uh, according to Trapazzo, is Justin Fields. They would be getting him number two. Um, I don't hate that selection. Uh, I do think Fields is an interesting, especially with the other draft picks, could provide the same value eventually as Watson. And I think better fits their kind of time window because they are going to probably be in a two or three year rebuild. Uh, I just found that interesting because I don't hate the value for either team. I think that's about what it would be, maybe a player or two instead of a pick or two. But yeah, I think that fits a need for both sides in that the Jets kind of get the splash higher to prove that they're competent. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also, I think that would signal the end of the... um, signal the end of the Sam Darnold era while giving Houston the kind of rebuild they need. Yeah. Yeah, I do think it's going to end up being about, I would say, three to four first-round picks. I could see three first-round picks and a player, like if the Dolphins decide to do three firsts and Tua, or, uh, you know, the Jets, it might be four first-round picks, but I think they have first-round picks, two first-round picks each of the next two years. So they can actually trade a couple first-round picks but still have first-round picks each of the next year. Two years, so I, 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 it's hard to tell the value, but I'm going to go three to four first at least, plus maybe a player. Speaking of the Dolphins, um, another Chris Trapazzo NFL mock trade. This one, like on January 18th, has that scenario where the Dolphins and the Texans trade again. Uh, and I'm not sure how I value this. The Texans get the number third overall pick, the 18th overall pick, a 2022 second round pick in Tua for Deshaun Watson in a 2022 fourth. Hmm. I may be wrong, but that feels like a ton of of trading for the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. I don't I don't know if I would do that, honestly. Yeah, I mean, two first round picks plus the guy who you took fifth overall last year. You know, I think Tua's going to figure it out, I, you know. I'm not, I wasn't I in love with this performance. I don't think he played awful. I just no. think the situation, again, he's a rookie. Mm-hmm. Like, 
he's a rookie and he's playing meaningful playoff games. Yeah. Uh, I think the problem with him ultimately came down to the fact that Ryan Fitzpatrick is probably a better quarterback at the time. Yeah. And they decided to play a lot of that season with Tua and ride that hot hand. I don't know. I don't, I don't hate Tua in Miami. I just don't think you do that trade and give up three high-valued assets in that third pick, 18th pick, and Tua for Deshaun Watson. Yeah, it's basically like the number five overall pick, the number three overall pick, and the number 18 overall pick. That seems like a lot. Especially when you're still a few pieces of... Like, you're not like the Chiefs. Yeah. You're not that Chiefs team that drafted uh, Patrick Mahomes. You're a little bit away from being near the top of that division division in the top of that conference you need more pieces yeah um by the way for those who were wondering uh that pick gave the texans zach wilson out of byu i really don't know how i feel about that at all uh that'd be what third overall third overall because and and we'll talk about this more the closer we get to the draft but i am not sold on zach wilson that high uh just because i feel like i feel like there are a couple of other quarterbacks in the draft who I would value more, Trey Lance being one. Um, I don't know if I'd take either of them in the top ten. I, I don't know if it's I'd, hard. Maybe, uh, but furthermore, if you're the Texans and in that scenario you trade for Tua, I don't know why you wouldn't try and get either Sewell, Certain, uh, Devonta Smith, Jamar. There are so many more valuable assets to your team. Yeah, than, I mean. There will be a quarterback, and like for, for example, let's say that scenario happens where on draft day, because first of all, you know most likely that the top two picks are going to be quarterbacks, are going to be one, just uh, Trevor Lawrence to the Jaguars, and two, Justin Fields either to the Jets or to a team that trades with the Jets. The third pick you know is not going to be one of those two guys. So if you're the Texans, and let's say even before the draft, you, you decide to do that trade for the third pick, 18th pick, and Tua. Would you not just say, we'll get Tua, we'll get a high-value player with the third pick, and then if we need to get a quarterback, get him with the 18th pick? Mm-hmm. Because pick quarterbacks three through six are very close in the draft. Yeah, and I think if you look at it, you know, um, I just think at the end of the day, because, I mean, we can only, you know, guess, and we, can, we, we don't know anything for sure. Uh, but we can only guess that if Deshaun Watson becomes available, a lot of football teams are going to call. If you're going to take Deshaun Watson, if you're going to trade Deshaun Watson, if you're planning on ta- if you're planning on uh, essentially trading Deshaun Watson, and you have the option between the Jets and the Dolphins, you know if you're planning on drafting a quarterback, either if you get number two or number three, you might as well just take number two and get Justin Fields. It makes no sense to acquire Tua and another quarterback in my book. If you can just get Justin Fields, who I think is the better prospect compared to Zach Wilson. so I, I can understand a scenario where, let's say those teams are flipped and it's New York third. I can understand a scenario where you say, we'll get Sam Darnold and then we'll get uh, Zach Wilson. Because A, uh, Sam Darnold's a year older and there's a lot of question more question marks about uh, Sam Darnold than there are about uh, Tua in terms of long-term success. But in terms of Tua's a rookie, and he looked, and he had moments where he f- played well yeah. in that rookie season. Yeah, that's a that's a big question mark for me. Yeah, I feel like if you're trading for Tua, you better get a guy to pair with him like Devontae Smith. So, I mean, we'll see. Um, uh, but continuing with the great 
great drafts of Chris Trapazzo. Uh, another trend emerged, which I thought was really interesting, which is that seventh pick of the Lions. Uh, so if you look at both of these drafts, he gets wide receivers to the Detroit, which I'm not necessarily against, uh, but I do think they have way more holes on that team than wide receiver. Uh, his first one, the one he did back on January 18th, gave the uh, Lions Devonta Smith. And I think, obviously, if you can get Devonta Smith at that seventh pick, that's a steal to me. Like, that's a really good pick. Uh, but he wasn't available in his newest draft. He went third, which okay. I think is about where he would go. Uh, instead, they went Jalen Waddle. And <laughs> I may be crazy, but I think that's a l- way too high for a guy who's coming off of an injury. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big Waddle fan, but at the same time, I'd still pick Jamar Chase over him. I well, don't know if he had Jamar Chase going. You had Jamar Chase going sixth. Sixth? Okay. Again, I get it because the Eagles... I think there is a discussion there for in terms of Jamar Chase going to the Eagles. But, like, in this draft, Patrick Sertan's going eighth to the to the uh, Jaguar or to the Panthers. Uh, he has Rashawn Slater of Northwestern going to the Cowboys, Christian Barmore going to the Giants, uh, some really good Quiddy Payne going to Quiddy Pay going to the Vikings. That's Jalen Waddell, I think, is going to end up being a very good wide receiver. Yeah. But on a team that I don't think their issue is wide receiver, I don't understand getting well. I believe I I I can only assume that his his situation is that because Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones, I believe, are both free agents. I know Marvin Jones is definitely a free agent. I believe Galladay is too, actually. But I still think if if uh, Chase and Smith isn't there, and if Chase and Smith aren't there, then I'd go defense because this defense needs to get a lot better. Or even I'm, you know, potentially looking to trade Matt Stafford and then getting a quarterback there at that position if Trey Lance is available. So I think that there's options that they can go with. I kind of agree, though, that I don't think wide receiver is my number one need uh, unless I can get a guy who I feel like is a sure thing t- star talent. Yeah, uh, I think the interesting scenario, and we'll, we'll talk about this more when we get to Trey Lance, is that again that scenario is Zach are Zach Wilson and Trey Lance top 10 guys uh because ultimately I think one of the two of them will be just because of how the draft always works where some guy quarterback gets higher rated and becomes higher um that would probably be Zach Wilson just because he has better tape and also he played better competition uh I saw again that one draft where he went third to the Texans uh, the, the recent one, he went fourth to the Falcons. Uh, there's another one I love called by Josh Edwards where he went second. Wow. This was after the game against Clemson, by the way. So yeah. this wasn't like, oh, well, he had to play Clemson. No, this was January 7th. This was after that game. I think a lot of people, and don't get me wrong, I think a lot of people midway through the, the season were very against Zach Wilson. Yeah. But I think now people are way too high on Zach Wilson. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, quarterbacks are a value position, so I think you're going to see some trade calls for those guys for if they linger a little bit past five or six. I think you're going to see teams who think, well, let's just try and get the guy because, you know, quarterback is the most posi- important position in football. I do think third's a little high for Zach Wilson or Trey Lance, but I can see them going, like, if they're still around towards the end of the top ten, I think one of them, or one or both of them are going to be taken, whether it's a trade or a team just looking to rebuild and start over with a guy. And I think also you look at the scenario of Carolina has the eighth pick, Denver has the ninth pick, 
Dallas is the 10th pick. Neither have solid situations at quarterback. The probably the solidest is Dallas, and again, we don't know what's going to happen with Dak. Um, Unless the Patriots sign Dak Prescott. Well, I mean, <laughs> that'll be a crazy scenario. But not only that, each of those teams are looking to add more value in general. So you could easily see those three teams either trading their pick or selecting that quarterback. Um, yeah, I think we'll have at least three quarterbacks taken in the top ten. But how about five? And how about the top four? That is the scenario presented by Ryan Wilson in January on January 19th. Okay. So let me run this down for you. First pick, Trevor Lawrence. Makes uh, sense. Bet on that. Uh, second, Zach Wilson to the Jets. Now, again, this is January 19th. This is a couple of days ago. Yeah. Uh, then you get a trade between the Carolina Panthers and the Miami Dolphins, where Carolina gets the third pick, Dolphins get picks 8, 39, and 104. Not awful trade value, um, and I get why they do it. They go up to get Justin Fields after the Jets pull the most Jets move in the world and just decide to get Zach Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not so okay. Dumb decision by the Jets. Okay, then with the fourth pick, the Falcons pick a quarterback, Mac Jones. Oh wow! That there are going to be a lot of debates going into the draft about whether Mac Jones is a first round pick, a second round pick where he goes in the first round if he goes there. But I don't think anyone in the world expects him to be a top four pick. That is pretty high. And that's coming from a guy who's a Mac Jones fan. I love Mac Jones. Yeah. I think he'll be a very good quarterback. I would not draft him anywhere near the top five. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that that's that's bold. Especially... Um, Again, we talk about the Falcons, and we don't know whether what they'll do, whether they blow it up immediately, or whether they'll try and hang around a season or two with these guys. But you're not a team like the Jets, or you're not a team like the Jaguars. When you have a somewhat established quarterback in Matt Ryan, to go and say, let's go get Mac Jones number four. Like, Yeah, I, I do think that there's probably five locks for the first round at quarterback. I, I, now four in the top five. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. But I think there's I think there's five quarterbacks that are locked for the first round. I think those four are locked. I think trans, Trey Lance. Someone's going to be enamored by the Trey Lance talent to take him in the first round. The question for me is Mac Jones going to tie the record for most quarterbacks taken in the first round? Because I, there are some things I like about Trask's game, but at the same time, the arm the arm strength really isn't there compared to some of the other guys. I know Mac Jones doesn't have a terrific arm, but I think it's better than Trask. And I think his accuracy yeah. will help him. The, 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 I think of the six or seven quarterbacks we could see taken in those top 40 picks, I think Trask is most likely to fall. And I would not be surprised if, because of the amount of high quarterbacks taken, he ends up falling near the, the bottom of the second round. Yeah. But there's just a lot of teams that need quarterbacks. You know, there's teams... Obviously, like the uh, Jaguars and Jets that need quarterbacks badly. There's teams like the Broncos who got to figure out what they're doing at that position because I think that's a talented roster. Um, and then you have teams like Carolina with Teddy Bridgewater. You know, what's the ceiling of Teddy Bridgewater? Uh, I don't think it's very high. I think that a lot of people kind of agree with that. I think that there's guys like teams like Pittsburgh, New Orleans. All these teams yeah, that are, are New England. in Philip Rivers yeah. just retired. Indianapolis is going to be in a quarterback position too. So that's four teams, five teams right there that will 
look towards the next guy potentially. And then, yeah, I mean, so I think that there's a lot of questions about which of these teams are going to be addressing quarterbacks going forward. And so I think that that's going to lead to a lot of quarterbacks taken. Four in the top five, though, just seems very extreme. Going back to that draft, uh, the rest of the couple of next picks are very straight. Panay Sewell goes fifth to the Bengals. Devonta Smith goes sixth to the Eagles. Jamar Chase goes seventh to the Lions. Uh, weird, Jalen Waddle gets picked my, by Miami at eight. I guess they trade back and get the next best wide receiver. I mean, they need a wide receiver, I, so I, I, I think that, it makes sense. But I'm not, I still, again, I don't, Caleb Farley goes, uh, the cornerback out of Virginia Tech goes ninth to the Broncos. But then, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, one of those teams you mentioned, they trade up with the Cowboys. Um, for, the, for, for those who are wondering, it's the uh, 24th, 55th, and a 2020 second first rounder, which is a lot to give up. Yes. And they get Trey Lance. That's interesting. I don't hate that selection. I think Trey Lance is kind of the quarterback you want in Pittsburgh, where you don't expect it. He's not going to start immediately because Big Ben will be the, be back. He'll have one more year. He'll have one more year, and meanwhile, Trey Lance can learn. Um, you know, Pittsburgh has always kind of delayed their quarterback situation. Um, but the one time, you know, they really got it right was in 2004. They still had Tommy Maddox, but they got Big Ben at 11. Yeah. I think this is going to be the right scenario where they get their guy, let him grow, and then he'll play really well the second or third year. Uh, by the way, in this draft, they had Patrick Sertan going 12th. That is... That's low. That is low, and they haven't gone to the 49ers, which that, almost, that is, yeah. Yeah, that's a good, that'd be a good pick for them, but I don't see them going to 12. No. Uh, going through a few more of my There are a lot of people in the media really high on Zach Wilson. I uh, looked at this other one, uh, Zach Seegers of the uh, Pro Football Network. He has Zach Wilson going second, and am I missing something? I mean, because, like, don't get me wrong, I think he'll be a very good quarterback. I'm not sure he won't be drafted in the top ten. But I don't think he's anywhere near two. I mean, it just kind of is your personal taste because I think a quarterback, no matter what's going number two, so it's just your personal taste to feel to Wilson. Wilson got a lot of hype this season, so I get it. I'd still personally take Fields, but maybe people think it's closer than what it should be. Uh, This one is also interesting, though, because it has a four... The San Francisco 49ers trading up to get Justin Fields. So in this scenario, it goes one Lawrence to Wilson, three Chase, four Justin Fields to the 49ers. If that's the scenario, then I'm a thousand percent for the 49ers doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I think that makes too much sense. Uh, 49ers, we know they'll be better next year because they'll have all their pieces back. Um, the one thing I do think that hurt them this year was Garoppolo, both because he was injured and also because he just didn't play well. Uh, yeah, I think if you give them Justin Fields and you let Garoppolo play one more year and maybe Justin Fields takes over near the end of the season, yeah, you're setting up the 49ers for success. Yeah. No, I think that'd be a great pickup for them. Uh, we'll see about Jimmy G. You know, He wasn't that far removed from leading, helping the team get to the Super Bowl, so... You know, 49ers can stay healthy. They can bounce back really quickly. The One of the interesting players I see kind of all over the place, uh, the, the, first of all, 
everyone in this mock draft season has predicted Panay Sewell to the, to the Bengals. I don't think – I think if you're going to – outside of Lawrence, I think if you need to bet on one player going to one team, it's probably Panay Sewell now to the Bengals because I've looked through like 20 of them, and they, they're always that player with that team. Yeah. I mean, he's a fantastic tackle talent, so. Yeah. But the one interesting player I've seen, and it's it's one who – Outside of quarterback, maybe the most up-and-down draft boards guy is Micah Parsons out of Penn State. I've seen him as high as fourth. I've seen some scenarios where it's those top two quarterbacks, uh, Jamar Chase, and then um, Micah Parsons to the Falcons, which I'm not against, but I also think that's a little high. And then I've seen some scenarios where he falls out of the top 20. I saw one scenario where he went to... uh, the Tennessee Titans at 22. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, so if you just took composite talent regardless of position, I'd say Parsons is the top five player regardless of position. But we've been in this weird situations where, you know, I think linebackers are kind of viewed as a less important position than some other positions in the league. I think a lot of people, I think as we've seen in the draft and based on trade value stuff, I think if you look at it, quarterback, wide receiver, Offensive line, edge rusher, and wide re- or cornerback are probably the five or six most important positions in the league that everyone's looking to get. And that's why if you look through a lot of mock drafts, you'll see a lot of quarterbacks, a lot of offensive line, As we said, a lot, a lot of wide receivers, and a lot of cornerbacks taken in the top 15. And so that's probably the reason why people would say Parsons dropped. But at the same time, while people will say that linebacker is maybe not as important position in the league, you look at a team like Tampa Bay, they... Didn't care about position, posi- or what's the most important position in the game. They just drafted Devin White, and he's fantastic. And they're in the NFC yeah. Championship game because he's really good, not just rushing the passer from the linebacker position, but playing sideline to sideline. We've seen it over the last 10 years. Like, last year's Super Bowl was the two best linebacking cores in the world, in the in the, in the the league, in Kansas City and San Francisco. And this year, we're, I mean, we see it all the time with those early, the, those mid-2010 Patriots where how they played with... Dante Hightower and Jamie Collins and them really impacted how good their defense was. Kyle Van Noy, another great example of a guy who provided so much value both to the Patriots and then to the Dolphins as a linebacker. Mm-hmm. I He's hit or miss on me because I do think teams will try and make him more edge rushy than he probably deserves to be. Yeah. I just, I think he's too, like, that fascinates me. Because we see it all the time where on draft day, someone gets higher projected than they probably were, and then they fall and people wonder, oh, why were they so highly projected? And it's like, well, people were just guessing. The fact that Micah Parsons I've seen at so many different positions, and not, not only... He was also an opt-out guy, wasn't he? believe so yeah and i think that plays a factor into it too i think a lot of teams are going to look at it as potentially you know if there's a guy who didn't play last season that they're not going to take him compared to a guy who did play and maybe they're similar draft grades so but again they have jamar uh they have jamar chase going in the top five yeah i mean i get that i but i think if you look at it i think teams are going to look at it between him and smith and some might say well i'm taking smith because smith played last year even though i think chase is actually still a better prospect than smith i think that if it comes down to the wire and they have him neck and neck as you know, if they both grade them 99.9, I think a lot of teams would take Smith because he played. The other interesting guy I saw in that very similar scenario is Quiddy Pay out of Michigan. Um, 
I saw, and I think it's just because he's in that weird edge rushing thing of some people think it's him, some people think it's Rousseau, and this this draft is kind of lesser in terms of neither of those guys are necessarily like Miles Garrett style need to be great or going to be 100% great edge rushers, but you know I've seen him go top ten. I've also seen him go bottom thirty. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm interested in Russo, honestly, because he's another guy who didn't play all year. He opted out, and he was a guy that was talked about as maybe the most talented player in the draft heading into the season uh, before opting out. And I, I still think he's an incredible edge rusher, so I think someone's going to, you know, if he falls to, like, the 15 range, 16 range, I think someone can get him at a steal. The most interesting pick to me is Kyle Pitts, because I could easily see a team way overvaluing him and drafting him in the top 10, even though he's good, but he's probably not top 10 player in this draft. Yeah. I could also see him fall because of that, because of the tight end value, and him fall to the team in the 20s, and it, like he ends up becoming the next Gronk. Uh, he's just really good. I don't see him falling past New England, honestly. That's an interesting... I could I could see, though, New England trading down. And... I mean, yeah, I could too, but I... I think if he gets there at 15 and New England isn't trading down, mm-hmm. um, especially like in the scenario that four quarterbacks are taken in the top 10, I could see that as a scenario they, they get pits and go for a veteran quarterback. So give me your scenario. Give me the we, – we talked a little bit about Panay Sewell and we talked about Trevor Lawrence. It's guys you can almost certainly lock. Uh, you can lock Trevor Lawrence, but you can most likely lock Panay Sewell to the Bengals. Give me another player team scenario. It could be in the first round. It could be anywhere in the draft where you just think you can lock in that that's probably going to be where he goes. Oh, that's actually kind of tough in this year's draft. I feel, I think we're a little early in the process. I think Fields at two is going to be, I think, is a lock. I, I think there's going to be some Zach Wilson hype until we realize, oh, wait, it's Justin Fields. Um, that's just my personal thing. I would definitely take Fields there. Um, as far as locks go in team needs, I think Pittsburgh takes a quarterback. I really do. Uh, whether they trade up for a guy or get a guy late in the first round, whether it's like a Trask or a Jones falls to them, I think they're taking a quarterback. I think that's something that they need to address because there's not a lot of holes on that defense when it's healthy and Bud Dupree and Devin Bush come back. I think that's something they and They still have young wide receivers too and Claypool – and um, Deontay Johnson, I think quarterback is a must-get for them. I think they're taking somebody. I think it's going to be – I'm going to go with J.C. Horn to the Broncos. I think the Broncos a thousand percent are going to go quarterback because I don't think a quarterback – their quarterback will be available by nine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think someone will either trade up to eight or will – We'll see what happens with the whole Deshaun Watson scenario. But I do think one of those top three to four quarterbacks will be done by the time we get to nine. I think the Broncos have needed a quarterback really for a couple of seasons. I think J.C. Horn is my favorite of the draft. I could easily see it going one of the other guys, Caleb Farley, someone who's been highly uh, highly selected in mock drafts. But I think if you're going to look at position-wise, I think the Broncos are going to go cornerback. Yeah. That's a good one. I can agree with that. Um, I think Ravens go wide receiver, too. Um, yeah, especially I, I, in this deep wide receiver. Yeah, uh, I think Rashad Bateman's an attainable guy at their position. So I think a guy like Rashad Bateman to the Ravens, I think, makes a lot of sense. 
Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the Sports Break Podcast. Uh, it was a long one, but uh, had a lot to talk about. Uh, next week, we will be recapping the conference championships. And I guess we'll look at basketball and what's going on with everything in terms of the trade deadline and how your favorite team is doing at the in the NBA season. Sorry, Rockets fans. <laughs> uh, as, as always... My name is Jackson King. I'm Kyle Brownman. Thank you for listening to the channel. Thanks and gig them. Peace.